Five Freaky Flicks with Hammond Chamberlain. In this episode, Hammond Chamberlain is visiting, and he's going to talk all about Five Freaky Flicks and the impact they have on He's going to go into a little bit about each movie. We do go into some spoiler territory, so you'll be warned right beforehand in case you haven't seen the movie. Prepare yourself. <laughs> so I am here with the one, the only, the great Hammond Chamberlain. Well, hey, how you doing? I am fantastic, my fine feathered friend. And I believe you are doing something unique. You had to be different. You had to be the one guy. Who couldn't just say, yeah, I have this one movie that as a kid I saw and it traumatized me and I still watch it today and it traumatized me. That was the directive. But no, Hammond comes at me with, he's going to talk about five movies. And I honestly am totally okay with that because I like lists. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the deal is I actually was going to just talk about The Changeling. And it still kind of creeps me out to this day. But what I wanted to do was actually give a list of movies that affected me to the point where when I think about them, I have an intrinsic response. And no matter how many times I've seen them, I have similar responses, although it might be more informed or more sophisticated. So how about we just jump into it? I say we go right into it right now. My first one is 28 Days Later. It is the film that changed the way zombies are zombies. They're no longer The Walking Dead as much as they are infected and are a result of some pandemic. And that changed the way we viewed them, and it changed the way that it's been viewed since that movie. It kind of was a landmark as far as defining what a zombie is going into the new millennium. I thought that it was really good at setting a mood, and you knew stuff was going to happen. It was just the anticipation that they created for it to happen, which was I thought was genius. And then the other thing that was interesting is the movie is actually split in half. There's the first half where they're being chased by the zombies, the rage victims. And there's a second half of the movie where they deal with the monsters that are humanity. And I thought that the juxtaposition between the two was actually really good. And it really made you, it changed it from just being a, you're being chased by a monster to a thinking man's kind of horror movie. And it really makes you think about what you're capable of doing, capable of doing to survive. Also, I have to admit, they used a kid, and it wasn't a complete and utter disaster. That little girl was able to be an intrinsic part of the story without being a complete dunce, which I really liked. I really did appreciate the complete and total tip of the hat to, uh, what is it, Day of the Dead, where they had the guy tied up in the courtyard. Uh, Day of the Dead, when they have the guy tied no, up. No, okay, so Day of the Dead is the one where they have the... Underground, that's the underground Underground with, yep. the, with the guinea pig zombie, and then... Bud. Bud, yeah. Bub, 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 bub. Was it, yeah. Was it Bub? Yeah. Right? It was Bub? Bob? I don't know. Yeah, Bub. Bub. Yeah. And then there's the exact same kind of setup in 28 Days Later. I guess the real point that I come to when you brought up the issue of how it separates the zombie monster versus the human monster. And I think that's really what all great zombie movie slash TV shows do. I think the Ramiro stories that really work, it's because of that dynamic. And I think that the Walking Dead works 
because of that dynamic. Because really, especially The Walking Dead, it's gotten to a place now going into the fifth season where that's really what it's about. I mean, yes, they're there and they're gross and it makes for nice gory kills so that if there's a lull in the story, you can just split some zombies head open. But the fact of the matter is the real danger within that world at this point is the people. Yeah, exactly. It's the it's again that question of what you would do or what would you do? What would you compromise in yourself to survive in that world? What would you do? I don't know. I might have to talk to a guy in a diner. Talk to a guy. For, that's foreshadowing. Oh, oh. Oh, was that was that like an actual like transition, like a segue? No, no. I was foreshadowing for something we might be doing later on in the year. Oh, wow. I am so quick. <laughs> Wow. Uh, okay, my next one is the classic <laughs> Alien. Nice. Okay, Alien is really just a good old-fashioned monster in the dark movie that happens to be set in space. And I personally think that it is the anti-Star Wars because it is not bright. It is not funny. There is no hope. It is dark. It is visceral. And it came out within just a few years of it. And I really think it's a direct slap in the face to everything that Star Wars was. While taking advantage of the developments in special effects that Star Wars helped push forward. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I think really that the thing that says that this movie really is a landmark film is the fact that, one, that creature is still as recognizable as any other creature in cinema history. It's still a property that's being used to this day. And then all the lines and jokes and the chest buster and all those things are still part of the cultural reference point that are still being used and people still get. And also it kind of defined in a true way that that female hero. Oh, yeah. Which is really pushed forward into the 80s. I mean, one of my other films truly plays on that 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 kind of archetype. Actually, you know, it's interesting you say that because 79 is alien. Think of a movie prior to that where you had that strong of a female, like the hero being female and that without it being overly in your face, in your face about it. Like there was never a sense of preachiness. It just was. In fact, they didn't even establish her at the beginning. I mean, you, she could have just as easily been taken out as anybody else. And I don't think, I don't think it's, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say, Ripley lives. I mean, I would hope everybody knows that. <laughs> See, and that's the thing that actually is really interesting is because at the beginning, everybody was fodder and you had no idea going in who was not going to be fodder. Exactly. It could have been Yafet Koto. You don't know. It could have yeah. been. It could have been the, well, it was the cat. I was going to say it could have been the cat. The cat to the cat. No. Maybe, maybe, maybe spoiler alert. But it, it really, it really did set that up and it wasn't, she wasn't over-sexualized. She wasn't, uh, there was nothing. So I don't think it's, I don't think it was done to say, hey, check out this girl in a, in a t-shirt and underwear. It was, she's now been ripped of everything she is and now has to really fight. But prior to Alien, can you think of, I mean, off the top of my head, because you could say, okay, J, uh, Lori Strode, but I don't think of her as strong. No, uh-uh. So I don't, wow, I'm gonna have to really noodle that one, man. I don't. And Barbarella, that doesn't count. Because no, was she's over-sexualized. Yeah. And Wow. Because Terminator is 84. So you're talking about five years later. And even then, Linda Hamilton, I mean, she wasn't, Sarah Connor wasn't strong until T2. No. And and you and one of my other ones that I'm going to bring up is Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. But she's post Ripley. Yeah, true. Now, when did you first see Alien? I saw Alien on a scrambled HBO channel when I was in probably, I mean, right when it first came on HBO. I was living in 
in, you know, in Provo, my mom was going to college. My dad was stationed at the Pentagon and I was home some afternoon and was flipping through and saw it and watched it, scared the living piss out of me. And that was, that was the beginning of my love with those movies. And I have to tell you, just to kind of continue with my anti-Star Wars, if you think about the score for Alien, it is a direct antithesis of what Star Wars is. True. Whereas Star Wars is bombastic and big, Alien is stark and shrill and... And at times just so subdued. Mm-hmm. We're moving on to Elm Street, the first Nightmare on Elm Street. I saw this in the theater when it came out, and it wasn't that Freddy scared me. It wasn't that the imagery was harsh. It was the fact that that concept of what affects you in your dreams can affect you in life. That stays with me. It still stays with me. And again, we have a strong female uh, lead in Nancy, who now thinking about it really does fall into the the Ripley kind of template. And what's weird is 28 Days Later, the lady in that, she's not a slouch either. She's the one who saves what's his nuts life, uh, Mr. Frontal Nudity guy. I can't think of his Oh, uh, oh yes. He's got that odd name. And I'm, he played Scarecrow in Batman. Yeah, 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 him. Oh, why am I brain? It starts with a C, right? I, I want to call him Cyrano. And I know his name's not Cyrano. Killian Murphy. Killian. There it is. But it's like C. It's like C-I-L-L-I-A-N, right? Yeah. There. Uh-huh. I wanted to call him Cyrano. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a side note on this, the story of Freddy got really fleshed out in that the very first episode of Freddy's Nightmares. I've never watched that. I used to have all of them on disc. I always wanted to. I remember kids telling me about it, and I don't know if it was just a timing thing or it came on and I was living with my mom because I would go back. I was like a ping pong ball between my parents, and I might, it might have been a time that I was living with my mom and she wouldn't have let me watch it. So I wonder if that's why. Yeah. It's, I've it, always wanted to see it, and I know it's on YouTube and everywhere else, and I, I need to watch it at some point. It really did flesh out the story, So, and it was interesting because they tried to do that with the remake, and I'll be honest with you, as much as I liked uh, What's-His-Nuts as uh, Rorschach, he didn't do a great job as Freddy. Yeah. Speaking of bad remakes, here's my next one. The original Haunting. Oh, you didn't like the 99 version? Oh, hell no. <laughs> Nobody did. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. I saw the remake in the theater, and I thought, oh, this will be good. It's The Haunting. And then I walked out and watched the old one on tape. What I like about the original Haunting, and it's, it's a black and white, it's highly stylized, Anyway, what I like about it is the fact that it's shot and it's told in such a point of view so you're not sure if it's actually happening or if it leaves the woman as a nut job. And you walk out not knowing for sure which it was. Did you ever read Shirley Jackson's novel? I did not. It's very surreal. And and I think it's really, even in the book more so, you're supposed to question how much of this is just completely in her noggin versus reality. Because that movie is very, it's almost, you think you see lots of things, but you see nothing ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I love. Totally I think it's messes, a fantastic movie. It totally messes with your perception. And when you're done, you're not sure exactly what you just saw, which is why it stays with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, it, and just the sound design is very effective. As I recall, it's G, isn't it? Isn't it rated G? So. Yeah, it's, there's nothing in there as far as anything. And the haunting trailer in and of itself is creepy. (laughs) It's just, I think it's, that is a movie that I would use as a primo example of having a very high creep factor. And that's really what makes it scary. 
Oh yeah. And, and, and again, it's one of those movies that does something so effectively that movies nowadays are trying to do and they're failing at. Cause what it does is it gets under your skin and it affects your sense of perception and reality. Yep. Yep. Cause then you start wondering if you're seeing the things she's seeing or you're not because every viewer could have a different experience with that film. And, and I was just throwing you a bone as a segue. Oh, I know. And, <laughs> and here I go with the one that's going to be spoilery. Okay. So spoilers for the others. Okay. So if you have not seen the others and as one who actually owns that one, please pause, go rent the others, come back and resume. <laughs> So the others is Nicole Kidman and what I think is her, my favorite role of hers. So this is about a family living in a house and their husband's away at war and it's a period film. All of a sudden this weird stuff starts happening. And at the end of the movie, you realize that they're the freaking ghosts and they're actually haunting some other people who are in our time period. And it's genius. The creepiest part in that movie is and you know what it is it's in the trailer when she approaches the old woman with the marionette or whatever it is mm-hmm. and she's like Why, where's my daughter mm-hmm. you're mad i am your daughter <laughs> <laughs> and it's like as she's walking around with the camera just slowly tracking from her point of view and you just the, the old woman looks up at her because she was the medium and it's but it's the little girl's voice coming out oh so creepy and the ending is i would don't here's the thing you gave away the the the, the twist, the six sensian <laughs> twist of the whole thing, which I will say also in that movie's favor because that movie came out in two thousand one, so two years approximately after Six Sense. And I remember the thing that was the most surprising to me is I didn't see that ending coming. Oh no, I had no idea. I just didn't see it coming. Yeah, it was really well crafted, and I and again it messes with perception. And I used to use that film to kind of talk about how your perception is reality. When I used to work at a drug and alcohol facility where people were locked down and I used to show this around Halloween and do a whole discussion about how perception becomes reality. And when you distort your perception, you distort your reality. I would like to think that they had pulled some huge inspiration from uh, the turn of the key. uh, Turn of the screw? Yeah, the turn of the screw. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is totally the turn of the screw. Yeah, because that's that again, super creepy. Oh yeah, especially as a book, it's the only it's the only play I've ever seen that actually scared me. I've been to plays, I've been to haunted houses, but when you're sitting in an audience in a play, it's hard to scare somebody. And when you see that play, if it's done right, it can actually make you scared. Did you ever see The Innocents, the 1961? I'm sure our yeah, buddy Peter could correct me. Uh, Deborah Kerr, I believe, mm-hmm. is the the nanny in that one. Oh man, that is a great movie too. I I love a good creepy ass black and white movie yep i showed my kids the uninvited oh great movie fantastic movie it's actually going to be one of the ones i talked about but then i had to narrow my list down to five yeah with uh, with ray Milland. yep now my kids are young it actually got to them i didn't think it would because it's so again it's very much like the haunting just suggestive but man they were creeped out which you know kind of <laughs> made me feel good i was like good they're not so tainted and <laughs> yeah jaded already by stuff that they can I throw in one other weird thing? Okay. I was going to mention the movie Strange Land with Dee Schneider, where they actually sent it. They've actually made typing on a computer scary because of the type of music they played underneath it. That's all I have to say. But they actually made typing scary in that film. That came out probably what? Mid 90s? Yeah, somewhere in mid, there. Mid to late. It was like 96, 90, somewhere in there. And yeah. and I was still a pretty regular reader of Fango. So I'm very familiar. That, I never saw it. 
It's not. It's not great. I think that's what it was. I heard so many negative things shortly. I we never came to the theater in my area, and so I was waiting for it on video. And just and by the time it came around, I'd heard so much negative. It's like, eh. Soundtrack is better than the movie. Yeah, well, it stands to reason. Yeah. Well, this is great. Thanks for letting me uh, chew your ear on five of my favorites. Uh, those were all excellent. Seriously, I've seen all of the ones you picked, and I love every one of them. Great list, man. Great Great list. So I guess we're getting deeper into October, Hammond, and I want to wish you and yours a happy Halloween. Well, thanks, man. All right, you guys too. Be safe. And you too. Don't forget your glow stick. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to a rave. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I figured. Uh, That's a typical Friday night for you, but. Yeah. I need my pacifier and my, my glow sticks. Yes, indeed. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this special bonus episode of the 2014 Spooky Flicks Fest. And a special thanks to Hammond Chamberlain for all of his excellent contributions. Be sure to check out Beyond the Playlist with J. Hammond C. and iTunes, Hammond's excellent podcast. Looking for more spooky fun? Why not head on over to ForgottenFlicks.com, where you can sign up to receive free updates and something horrific delivered to your inbox every day in October. See you soon!